Next in Nonprofits. I'm Steve Boland, and I am very pleased to be joined today by John Stevens, the Executive Director of the BOMA Project. John, thanks so much for taking time. Thank you. I'm really grateful that you were willing to reschedule. We were originally supposed to have a conversation at Dreamforce uh, where we were going to meet, and I just blew it with the pace of the the day and and got in the wrong place and very kind of you to reschedule for a remote conversation because I'm really impressed with what I've been able to read so far about what you're doing at BOMA. Before we dive into all of that, though, um, could you just tell people a little bit about what is the BOMA project? Yeah, the BOMA project is uh, an organization. We're a U.S. nonprofit, but we do most of our work in East Africa and most of that work in northern Kenya. And we work with a demographic, which is ultra poverty. So this is kind of the, the poorest of the poor. And we work primarily with women in some really last mile communities of Africa to pull them out of poverty and get them on the path to prosperity through a, uh, a kind of a very prescriptive program that was developed by another NGO and then and adopted by the BOMA project for the Kenya context. And how did BOMA get started? As you mentioned, uh, there was another NGO. There's lots of NGOs that have been trying to tackle this very, very difficult, almost feels intransigent problem. Um, Where did BOMA come in? How did it get started? Well, it's an interesting story. Our founder, Kathleen Coulson, was running safaris throughout Kenya. And in between running safaris, you know, she would have downtime and would have opportunities to explore some of the communities around her. She would oftentimes stay up in the kind of uh, remote areas where she was running safaris and got to know people in those local communities, as well as, you know, the drivers that worked with her company uh, would introduce her to their villages and the people in those villages. And what struck her was just how destitute and how poor some of these women in these communities are. And they are so far removed. Um, they are so far off road and and so far away from services um, that they really had no prospects and no resources for picking themselves up out of poverty. And so she saw a very critical need that just wasn't being addressed by anyone. These women were literally off the radar of the government and and uh, any social services. So she took it up to start working with these women, and through that process. Uh, looking at different methodologies available around the world, uh, came across the graduation model, which is what we use today. So we've contextualized this for the northern Kenya environment, um, but it's a model that's about 15 years old. Um, and typically it's a two-year program where we stabilize the household and help that woman develop a new income stream through a small business. And then once they start Um, realizing some income, then we help them develop a savings account. And income and savings are the two building blocks of resilience in this part of the world. If you can make money and you can save it, that's really going to get you up on that next run on the ladder. And really not unique to Kenya or Africa. I mean, it's a, a building block here in the States that many families struggle with. So it's good to learn from that and be able to think of how, to, how does one execute it when the economic opportunities aren't the same. So um, yeah. what? just a, a little bit more, I guess, about the business uh, that you do when you say help them establish uh, some kind of regular income stream. Are, are there uh, types of businesses that tend to be more successful or is it very different with each family that you're working with or, or how does that happen? 
Well, there aren't a lot of choices in these areas. And I think, you know, if you go to our website, you see some of the images of, of where these communities are. Um, you know, the, the natural landscape is, is arid. Uh, there's not a lot going on. So people tend to engage in uh, small crafts and livestock. Uh, but uh, an area we found that's pretty popular that women like to start a business in is, is called a, just a small duca. It's just a small shop where they sell a number of, uh, it's like, it's like a village convenience store. You know, they may sell 12 to 15 different types of food products and some soap and a few other things. Uh, and this is a really perfect way to get a woman set up in business because, you know, the profit and loss and, you know, getting your stocks and selling them and, and just understanding that basic kernel of, of supply and demand and profit uh, you know, that really is ingrained and that's what we teach women is, is that basic business model. And then they can apply that down the road to other endeavors in their life. But once they have that basic notion of, you know, who wants to buy this and how can I make a profit and how do I measure and keep track of that profit, you know, that's, that learning stays with them and that really underwrites a lot of the success they find in the program. So in order to do this work or really any kind of uh, NGO work, there's usually a need for resources. You need people on the ground. You need uh, to help them get that first round of inventory into the store before they can start selling. All of those things require some uh, some money, some human resources, some volunteer time. Um, Absolutely. Co coordinating that from uh, abroad and other, I mean, I assume that there's some Kenya office space too, but but to mm. coordinate that uh, in other places has got to be a, a difficult proposition. Uh, so um, we, we got in touch a little bit in the context of um, the Dreamforce conference, and that kind of gets to the question of how you manage um, getting resources and coordinating conversations with um, these very remote areas, as you point out, folks that just, you know, don't have um, the lots of the traditional tools that people might think of. So um, mm -hmm. what what brought you or what brought BOMA rather to the conversation of thinking, you know, we should be looking at things like uh, salesforce.com as a way of, or .org, pardon me, as a way of um, solving some of those difficult challenges around communications and fundraising. Right. Well, I think, you know, the way we use um, Salesforce was um, customized to help us with our monitoring and evaluation. Right, right. Thank you. And, and a, a big part of what we do, you know, when we talk about last mile communities, you know, we're talking about communities where, you know, you could drive six hours to a village and then you may get on a motorbike and go another three hours into the field where this community lives. Um, you know, so true last mile and what that means for an organization operationally is that you've got to send someone out there um, and they need to be your eyes and ears. So it's really around remote management. And, and part of that is, well, how do, you, how do you bring services to that community, to that person in a, in a far-flung community? But the other part around that, which I think is interesting for nonprofits, is how are you accountable? You know, how do you know yeah. that what was supposed to happen, you know, be it a meeting or a training or a delivery of a, a small grant. How do you know that happened? Uh, who's keeping track of it? How do you authenticate that information? Um, how do you see that? And then, you know, what we're looking at and what we're trying to do with our model is go to scale. So we're trying to work with a million women and children by 2022. So it's not just a matter of how do you kind of authenticate a single 
um, event or transaction, but how do you do this maybe four or 5,000 times a month and know that you've got an intact system, um, the services are being delivered, people are showing up for work. Um, and, you know, I think when we talk about resources, then you're also saying, well, how do I extend the donor's dollar? You know, how do I, how do I really make a $1 million or $2 million grant go as far as it can? Mm -hmm. And looking for investments in technology was a way for us to maximize those resources because we traditionally NGOs spend a lot of time um, writing things down. People go out to the field, they have ledgers, they have lists, they fill those out in the field, they do surveys, and you know, they bring those paper products back to offices. And at some point, those are entered into computers, and at some point, those reports trickle up into headquarters. And it's this... Well, uh, honestly, just to break in for yeah. a moment, one hopes they get entered into computers, but there's all the <laughs> that end up going, someday we're going to get around to that data entry that we got to do. But yeah, today... Yeah. I got to right. help this person. So, you know, it's, you, you don't really get timely information often when you're relying on somebody getting those paper records into something that you can yeah. actionably use or see from different places. So yeah, sorry, that's exactly it's a, right. the real yeah. problem across the nonprofit sector, not just in areas where um, the, the remoteness of communities makes, you know, travel and, and telecommunications and all that difficult. I think that's a, a system-wide problem with many charities that are trying to gather their effectiveness information with paper. And then the big problem is when is that paper going to get turned into something they can work with? So I, yeah. I appreciate you identifying that moment as a real barrier. And I just wanted to interject, but if you would please continue on, you know, all right, so paper can be a challenge. What, what else does one do? Well, yeah, I mean, the paper system is just horribly inefficient, you know, and so that's, that's an expense we don't want. Um, but it also, you know, what we found is that process takes 30 to 90 days um, oftentimes. And so even if you are getting correct information, you're not getting that information within a window that you can reasonably react to it. Mm -hmm. um, so I think both those factors were big for us. Uh, and the system we've built um, really addresses both of those square on. You know, it's a very efficient system. We have mentors who are our frontline staff who work with women in these communities, and they're each equipped with a tablet. And they're able to collect information on that tablet, even if they're out of range of cell phones and Wi-Fis. You know, as soon as they come back at the end of their day, those tablets upload everything once they get back into uh, cell range. Um, so what that does for us, one, it just, it just totally, um, deleted that entire process of jotting things down on paper. So we're happy. We probably saved a couple forests mm -hmm. just by that. But also for me, you know, what I get sitting in the U S is I see a daily dashboard. It comes up and it tells me every action that happened in the last 24 hours and you know, the whole history of the organization, but I see what's happening or what's not happening. And when I see things that aren't happening, I can make a phone call and fix it within a few hours. And I think that that's a real critical difference. You know, we, a big movement in the nonprofit world is around adaptive management. And we talk about that a lot, but oftentimes, even if an organization wants to be adaptive, they're still dealing with uh, an information flow that may be months out, you know, so your, your ability to really be nimble and adapt is going to be challenged by the fact that you're not going to get information in a timely way. So I think 
you know, our system really addressed that. And that's one of the biggest advantages we have in our management team is just being able to see real-time information coming in. And how long ago did you start looking at solutions that could help you get that real-time information? Because, you know, we we look at the evolution of tablet technology and, you know, battery life and extensibility and all the things that have been happening. But um, that's still, you know, not that long ago that those tools became part of a tool set that you could use to solve the problem. But, um, you know, how long ago did Boma start thinking we really want to improve how we do this and then how do you evaluate which solution? Because there's certainly more than one way that you could try to solve that problem. Yeah. Well, I think it was around five years ago we started asking ourselves what's out there. Um, And this was around the emergence of, you know, a number of small organizations that were uh, promoting solutions, uh, data capture solutions and tablets. And um, this whole process was just starting to become more um, widespread. Um, but it was really through our work with Salesforce and then getting uh, teamed up with um, a couple of, I guess you'd call them third-party providers that helped us turn Salesforce into a very workable system for us and, and tuned it to meet our needs. Um, and that was a couple years ago. Um, and that was a, you know, a fairly painless process. And I think, I think we're nonprofits in general struggle is that they rarely have um, leadership uh, around technology. They, they have different types of leadership, but, you know, they don't often know what solutions are available. They don't often know how those solutions are woven into other systems, be it finance or fundraising or M&E. Um, and that's, so that's kind of a critical gap, I think. Um, so nonprofits need that expert advice to kind of understand you know, what they need, but also how they ensure that they're making a, um, a good investment in that because nonprofit dollars are pretty scarce and donors want to see money going to beneficiaries. They're not always excited about monies going to technology investments. So they, right. you know, nonprofits need to make very smart very smart investments. Well, I think that can sometimes lead to, you know, the, the paralysis of analysis problem when you don't have people that are, you know, themselves technologists. They, you know, they're, they're program experts. They're people that have learned a lot about how to help other people, but not necessarily um, folks that have a good sense of evaluating um, one um, client relationship management system over another yeah. one thing that does exactly. evaluation. Exactly. So I know you weren't uh, in your current role at BOMA when this decision was made, but do you have a sense of, um, you know, why was Salesforce chosen in the first place? I mean, there, there are some things about the .org that are very nice when you can get the first 10 seats free and, and a few other things, but um, it is by no means the only option. And um, good to hear that once you made the decision, implementation wasn't so bad. And I want to ask about that too. But, but first, I guess, anything that you may know from the collective wisdom of, of your predecessors, um, why that choice at that time or how long did you think it, it took rather than getting stuck in this paralysis that happens to so many charities? Yeah, so, you know, I wasn't at the organization when those decisions were made, but from what I understand, you know, what really helped um, cement the Salesforce relationship was that in addition to providing, you know, licenses around the software and all that accessibility, that they also provided grants to help us with these third-party vendors to pay for the customization and pay for that build-out and the design. And so they really worked with us on both fronts to help build a system. 
And, you know, it's, it's an interesting point you bring up because, yeah, most mid-sized nonprofits don't have the, you know, the um, staff who can really evaluate different CRM products, you know, and do that, that sort of thinking. Uh, that's a bit of a luxury. So I don't think we went through a very critical process, but I think we went through a process with Salesforce where we said, this is where we want to be. This is what we need to do. And these are some of the big challenges and constraints we face. And they and Vera Solutions and TerraWorks said, we can do this for you. You know, they sketched it out and showed us what it could be. And we said, that's what we need. So to some extent, we didn't need to um, delve deeper into competitors and pick apart uh, different solutions because we found one that was, you know, going to work with us and going to help us get to where we needed to be. Uh, and that was, that was what we needed. So we went with it. Well, I applaud you and your predecessors on making the decision without loads of extra time, because it, it is, I think, one of the more challenging things about many nonprofits, especially when you engage boards of directors or other outside advisors, that um, by the time you get to the point of feeling like you've got enough information to make a decision, all the bids are too old to be useful anymore. There are three right. revisions down the road, and um, the technology moves pretty quickly. And um, even in the time that BOMA has been using Salesforce.org, they've, they've kind of moved from this uh, nonprofit profit starter pack to the nonprofit success pack to this nonprofit cloud and all these different names of things that um, make it, I think, a little challenging on the outside to feel like I've evaluated this well, I'm ready to go in and start the implementation. But um, not having any competitor out there at the table that was saying, nope, I can do exactly that for you know, half the time and half the cost or whatever, you made a call, went with it. So now we get into that question of implementing. You, you've got a little bit of help from salesforce.org towards the, the cost of bringing those things to the table. Um, how, how long in your, uh, again, knowing that you're newer to this role, but uh, anything you know about from the decision to get the information structure set up before it actually hit the field? Or were those things kind of done simultaneously where you needed people doing some, some work with the product out there in communities that you're serving before you could really say that it's flipped on? Yeah, well, there was a fair amount of work, and we did uh, engage a consultant who was a Salesforce expert who, who worked with us to kind of build this out within the organization. You know, it, it was a big change for our field teams uh, to move to a computerized system, a digitalized system. Um, it wasn't always easy. There were a number of um, wrinkles that had to be ironed out, I think, you know, to take the system that was built. And then when you apply that out to, you know, what does this look like working in rural Kenya? You know, what, what are the um, tweaks you need to make, you know, for this to all make sense? There were, uh, you know, a number of uh, weeks and probably months um, before it went live. Um, but, it, you know, it also had the effect, I think, with our teams um, a lot of transparency came along with this system as well. And I think uh, nonprofits looking at doing something similar may also find that um, as much as there is an enticement to digitalize and, and to streamline communications and reporting, uh, it also will reveal um, any deficits in your operations. It, it will send up a flag when someone doesn't show up for a meeting. It will show you when uh, certain activities weren't done, and it will show you that very immediately. Uh, and there can be a bit of pushback uh, from your team that maybe is not used to having that level 
of scrutiny and accountability. Um, but this is, you know, this is the direction nonprofits need to go, um, especially working in remote communities with very vulnerable populations. You know, nonprofits need to be accountable for results and they need to be able to show their stakeholders and donors and the communities they serve that they are using their funds well and they're accountable for results. So, uh, it, you know, it's, it's not just, I guess I would say, it's not just getting uh, the wrinkles in the system worked out, but it's also explaining to your team that there's, there's a, a very clear lens on what they're doing every day and, and they need to, uh, you know, perhaps step up and, and understand that they're going to have to be a lot more accountable. Yeah, I think that that culture shift to um, to that layer of, as you said, transparency about everything um, can be a little challenging for my staff sometimes. So I'm glad to hear that you acknowledge that. Yeah, absolutely. That's a a part of a transition that everybody has to go through um, at every level of an organization when you make a commitment to do something like this. But I think knowing that um, everybody is, of course, invested in this work for um, you know, the outcomes that they want to see. You know, nobody wants to be on the ground helping somebody set up a little bodega in their community just for the fact of bringing you know that day's inventory to market. You know, that's right. That right. isn't the thing that is why we're there. It is a step towards getting that economic independence, that, that growth that you talk about for these families um, in the hands of these women who haven't had other choices. But what you're looking to evaluate isn't just, you know, what are these 24 hours worth of outputs putting together, but how do we know that those 24 hours worth of outputs are leading us on that path towards longer term change? And that I think is something that most people on the on the ground would be excited to have a better vision of, but when they are the program staff that is just kind of struggling to get to their next location and help that next person today, it, sometimes I think it feels like you lose sight of that. Do you, do you get a sense that the evaluation work that you're doing is helping to invest more of the team in that long-term vision, or does it just still seem like, well, today's work is just today's work and I got to stay focused? Well, I think, you know, in the beginning, um, a lot of the metrics were around more to the day-to-day activities. Um, but what we've developed as we've kept evolving the system, uh, you know, key performance indicators, but really looking at our criteria for success and how we're tracking against those. And so, you know, every, every time a mentor meets with a woman in our program, he's, he's tracking her progress against um, a number of key indicators, which once they achieve success in all of those indicators, we consider them graduated. And that is kind of the essence of the graduation program. And that has really helped to kind of keep the whole organization on track with the big picture. You know, because we look at these smaller KPIs, well, did the woman get her loan? Did she get her training? You know, did the mentor show up as he or she was supposed to? And all those little building blocks of uh, outputs, but it's, you know, these bigger outcomes that we're tracking and that's the real success of the program. So, you know, as we look in some of these, you were watching, you know, is the business value increasing month on month? And as you look at a, a woman who's maybe 12 months into the program, you're seeing that progress, you know, you're really seeing that build up every month. And you're also seeing some other indicators, which we think are really important, not just money, not just income and savings, but, you know, are their children getting fed? And we're asking about that every time we visit that household. And we're seeing those improvements really in line with income and savings. You know, the kids are eating better as moms are making money. 
And then finally, I think for us, one of the most uh, meaningful outcomes is, you know, how do we break this cycle of poverty? Because we can bring a woman out of poverty. We can do that with the income and savings. But we're really saying, you know, if you can get to that point where you can afford to put your girls into school and get them an education, at least through primary school, we think you're going to break this cycle. We think that girl is not going to face challenges in the same way that her mom did. Uh, and so for us, you know, I look at that final uh, criteria as so meaningful to what we're really trying to do to affect generational poverty. And, you know, seeing that um, percentage of girls in school keep uh, ticking up as we're improving that household economy is really exciting. And I think that's really where, you know, if I had to say, what's the one thing we're doing to, that's really going to change the world? It's, it's making sure we're getting those girls in the school. Well, and that to me is one of the interesting things about using a tool um, like this that not just measures today's daily outputs and, and lets us know if we're kind of off track, but the, the reason that we're looking at those daily outputs is towards this literally might be decades out um, vision uh, that we really want to be able to share not just with the potential donors and, and community supporters, but um, also with our own staff and volunteers to help people see um, every one of these things is stepping towards Towards this vision, but it might take a good long while to get to that breaking a, a, a generational, uh, you know, can challenge in communities that have had this for you know, hundreds or more years. So I, I think how you look at these tools, do how do they help you envision, you know, what that looks like? I mean, do they actually go out and kind of, um, you know, project that if if this family has got you know, three or four girls in it and, and two of them are enrolled in school so far or whatever, we can graph that or, or is it something that doesn't quite get that granular or how do you help think about that evaluation for the long term? Yeah, we haven't, we haven't necessarily harnessed the performance insights, the Salesforce tool for that kind of long-term forecasting. But I think, you know, as we're, as we're watching salesforce.org continue to pour resources into their products and and seeing like the emergence of einstein and and products like that you know some interesting um potential starts to starts to come up um but you know one of the things i'm really interested in is is machine learning and i think as an organization boma collects a lot of data we may collect too much data but i think that <laughs> The benefit of that is that you can apply that into machine learning and you may learn some really interesting things. And one of the, one of the things I'm really eager to learn is that, you know, in our program, if we enroll a thousand women, we will have dropouts. We will have women who do not uh, continue with the program. And that may be anywhere from three to five, maybe even 6% of the women in the program. Um, and I would like to know if we could predict who those women are going to be, you know, at month six. And so we could start to apply extra resources or extra attention to them. Um, you know, that's the, that's the kind of thing I think uh, Salesforce and Einstein could help us with. Uh, and it's not very different. You know, I know that community colleges have asked themselves the same thing. You know, how do we identify kids that are more likely to drop out and, and get to them quicker? you know, so we can keep them enrolled and keep them on track. Um, so there's some really interesting um, potentials there with Salesforce that, that we're eager to explore. Um, 
And I think that, you know, that can just open up a whole new range of, of questions and, and things we want to find out about the program and how we improve it, um, as well as just looking at how do we make it quicker and cheaper. Yeah. You know, I think that um, oftentimes we tend to keep evolving programs and making them a little more complex and, and lots of additives. But I, I'm also trying to push the other direction and say, you know, if we could do this in half the time for half the money, then we can enroll twice as many women. Right. You know, let's think of it that way. Uh, and Salesforce, again, I think gives us really good visibility um, into how we do that. You know, it shows us, we look at these criteria about how women are meeting our graduation criteria. And, you know, sometimes we see groups that are meeting criteria very early on, you know, so we've got some, some kind of pioneers and, and, you know, the Salesforce system lets us see that and, and start to understand that better. And I think there's a lot of value in, in doing that. I want to back up for just a moment. And you mentioned Einstein. And for people that are not currently using Salesforce, they may not understand in this context, that is just the name of their artificial intelligence agents that they've tried to build into the system to surface information that might not be intuitive or you might not have asked for. And I think that that's yeah. a, an important element of using tools like this uh, to your point of, um, you know, why is it that, you know, some of these women drop out and some of these women are much more successful earlier? Um, what are we not seeing that might be commonalities between those classes and how do we learn that um, and things like an artificial intelligence system built into that has access to all of this data may be able to help throw that up and I, I always try to explain it to nonprofits of if, if you've ever shopped at Amazon um, and you went in and you searched for you know number two pencils and then it throws up this list of things people also bought and you're like well, I, I wasn't asking about that, but yeah, actually, now that you mention it, I, I do need right. that other thing right. that you threw in front of me. Uh, and that's the, the perfect day-to-day -day example of it doesn't have some pre-programmed you know, path to say, I need to upsell you on paper or erasers or whatever, but rather it just says, of all the data that I have of everybody that's bought pencils, a lot of them have also needed paper and erasers. So I'm going to throw that out there just in case. And that's the kind of thing that something like Einstein can do once it has a data set to work with. I mean, it can't just create a recommendation um, out of thin air. So it, it's great that the, the tool is built into something that you can access, even though it's not a primary driver maybe of the decision, or maybe it was part of that right away to say, if we get enough data together, we might be able to surface those connections that we're not seeing right now um, that might help us do our job you know, if not in half the time, maybe in 80% of the time anyway, and, yeah. and, and yeah. find ways through. So um, as Einstein, you know, as their artificial intelligent agent gets, gets brought in, that too is, seems to me is not something that is usually associated with the, the um, on the ground staff that are doing the work, but rather more in the analytic side of once the data is in. Is that a fair read or do you see uses for it for people that are doing the work on the ground? Well, I, I, you know, there's a couple things. I think if we look at this, you know, predicting graduation dropouts, something like that, I think that's going to happen kind of higher up. You know, we do have a couple Salesforce programmers and, and our M&E team who do those analytics. Um, but there's some interesting, you know, one of the applications I saw for Einstein uh, at Dreamforce was an organization in Latin America that installs clean cook stoves. And as part of that process, they use, you know, they're using Salesforce and that client relationship, but the installer takes a picture of the chimney when, when he or she is done with that installation. 
and uploads that picture into Einstein. And Einstein will say if that chimney was installed correctly or not. Hmm. Um, so suddenly, I think there's this, you know, in my mind, all these uh, lights were, and bells were going off of like, well, what could we, what could we see in the front lines um, that could be photographed? Uh, you know, and how could that be useful for us? How could that make us smarter and more efficient? Um, I, I think for us, that's, you know, right now it's a big question, but um, I do see potential for frontline front users to be engaged in Einstein in a way. Uh, I think we still have to figure out for us what that might be. I, I think one of the things that, that is really interesting is, you know, we talk about hunger and food security uh, but it's really difficult to understand if children are growing um, because you can talk a lot about, yes, we ate and we ate well or we ate a diversified diet. But if children aren't growing on track, none of that means anything. Mm -hmm. So there really needs to be a way to understand if children are growing. Could Einstein help with that somehow? Is there a way to you know, use a photo or a photo against kind of a... a uh, you know, some kind of standard mm -hmm. that we that we look at a child and, and contract some kind of growth. Maybe, you know, these are the sorts of things I'm thinking about. But I, you know, I think this is a brave new frontier for nonprofits. And I think what's great about Salesforce um, is, you know, they're providing these tools and nonprofits are going to figure out how to use them. And I think in a couple of years, we're going to see some fascinating examples of how people are adapting these tools to their work. And, and I'm very hopeful that Salesforce keeps sharing those examples because I think there's real, real value in, in you know, disseminating these great tools um, and, and so other people can use them. Yeah, it's been really interesting to me to be following the .org in the last couple of years, um, not seeing the, you know, necessarily a, a billions of dollars of direct investment towards .org, but rather billions of dollars of investment in the Salesforce platform that the .org people can then go, well, I can use that. You know, I can, yeah. I can put yeah. that tool to work and, uh, and see these, these opportunities where people can bring those tools in and go, we, we have access to the same basic infrastructure as multi-billion dollar companies. Um, you know, we can use the tools that were developed for multi-billion dollar companies. To me, the, the challenge becomes it sometimes feels a little overwhelming to look at the scale of that. I mean, the, the, one of the reasons I, I ended up missing you at Dreamforce was just trying to connect with human beings in that yeah. space that we're all trying to, to do that was a little overwhelming for me. And um, I, I think if we think about where the, the speed of change that's coming to these platforms in front of your, your average, more moderate-sized nonprofit, um, it, it does feel a little intimidating, but at the same time, I think a little invigorating. So if you step forward as one of those um, kind of thought leaders in, in the sector and say, yeah, we, we jumped in and we're making use of it right now for some really actionable things on the ground today. I can get daily dashboards today that makes my day better today, that helps us today but also is really positioning us to be able to use all that information better in the future. Are you communicating with potential donors about that evaluation component as a, a, a differentiator of why would they invest in your work versus, you know, another organization that maybe also has a need out there? Yeah. You know, I think our, you know, we, we hold up the program and the results we achieve, you know, as our primary value proposition, but you know, the backbone of that, the um, authentication, I think of those results and our ability 
to, to speak to those results is really around our Salesforce system, which we call Performance Insights. Um, and it's interesting, as we, as Boma has um, started to look at how we reach a million women and children, the primary conduit for that is not going to be doing all of this work ourselves, but doing this work through other organizations. So what that really means is becoming a technical trainer and training other groups such as Mercy Corps to implement this program. And, and that requires uh, a training component and, and being able to um, show them the system and give them accessibility to the system. But when they look at BOMA, they're really interested in performance insights. They see that as you know, a quantum leap above all other groups that are in this space because it is such a sophisticated system. And, and you know, the real-time availability of information, the dashboards, uh, the ability to customize it on the fly and really tune it into whatever context and culture we're working in, you know, that's, that's not something that most NGOs have. Even, even the big, big, well-funded NGOs tend to not have something that that's, is so dedicated to a single program. Um, so it's really, for us, it's, it's not only been, you know, attractive to donors, um, but it's been a real um, value in bringing in other groups as strategic partners. Well, that's an interesting element that I guess I wasn't aware of ahead of this conversation. Then if, as you think about that part of it, um, does that, well, I'm going to, I'm going to dive into the deep data weeds for just a second here. Does sure. that lend to the, uh, an opportunity to think about anonymizing data across NGOs and being able to create some sort of larger data set to learn from for those artificial intelligence agents, you know, not just your data, but here's what we know from partners that have picked up implementations based on our ability to help them. Um, if we can anonymize that data in such ways that it's not violating privacy and, um, yeah. and, and making it difficult, um, it may give, you know, the opportunity to have a little bit more of that artificial, that machine learning, that, that artificial intelligence analysis. Is that um, just too much to, to bite off at this point? Or is that something you've thought of? Uh, you know, it's not something we've thought of. And, and, you know, now that you're talking about this, I think it's really fascinating because uh, it, it is true that with uh, the artificial intelligence, you know, you do need a lot of data to program into that to help it start to understand. Uh, and we're not always able to generate enough of that data to, to kind of start to build that, that base. And I think, you know, what you're talking about and having this um, shared platform and, and maybe it's around, you know, some very specific questions. Maybe it's around food security and looking at how you're, how are you measuring whether kids are growing and being able to share that across maybe 15 or 20 organizations that are looking at that same thing. Um, I think that could be really powerful. And I think, again, that's, you know, it's, it's a standard that really drives accountability across yeah. um, the whole industry. And, and also, I think, kind of, Everyone's using, using the same yardstick. Uh, and I think that's also really important as well, because we have, if you have 15 NGOs, you're going to have 15 metrics. <laughs> and, you know, you get them into a room and you, you try to say, okay, what's working? And, and it's like, you know, everyone's got their own language and, and it's very difficult. So I think also finding a standard tool um, could be a really powerful way to, to harmonize what we're doing across the industry.
Right. Or, or at least a data schema that could work across Salesforce implementation, something along those yeah. lines. But, yeah. um, you know, that's one of the things that I think to, to bring it back to the um, decision making and management sort of level of conversation and not, you know, into how do we anonymize data to protect privacy? Because, you know, there's, there's a loads of places to go there. But I think that 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 big question of, you know, we know what we know, but we also only know what we're asking. And if we don't get data about other things that we didn't think to ask about, then you do sort of miss the, the opportunity to really learn what is, what is the better way to solve this problem long-term. So it's exciting yeah. that you're thinking about this from that evaluation framework and bringing that there, but it does then, you know, as you're learning and being able to bring in expertise to other organizations, it does kind of, um, present that opportunity, which probably presents a whole lot of questions and problems too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so as we're running just a, a little low on time, so I want to make sure we um, um, get to anything that you are thinking about for next steps in the future. You, you've got something up and running. Uh, you're excited about what it's doing today. Um, but as you look at, um, you know, a, a roadmap of, what is, is there something that's obviously like, oh boy, we really got to get to that in two years? Or um, are those things that you just need to learn as you're continuing to operate within the space that you're already in? Well, I think for us, uh, you know, we, we have this great system. Um, it, it's really being harnessed and, and used. It's bringing new partners into the conversation. And we're, we're seeing a bit of a pivot as an organization from, I would say, a doer to a teacher. And from a direct implementation organization to a technical assistance organization, I think the next uh, step for us really is, you know, if we're going to become trainers, we need to be, we need to have a deeper bench of, of our sales force uh, people on staff who can work with new partners as clients and customize performance insights to, to um, meet their needs. Uh, so for us, we're really looking at, you know, what is the capacity we need internally, um, a Salesforce team, and what does that management structure look like? Um, and then, you know, very much down the road, um, but still top of mind for me as executive director is, you know, what's the next big quantum leap we need to take? Right. You know, and I think you, in especially as nonprofits get into the digital world, uh, that acceleration is is real time, and you know nonprofits um, previously I think could you know adopt a new system or a new program methodology, and that could run for twenty years perhaps. Uh, as you as you start to get into these different conduits and you start adopting technology that's cutting edge, that's moving fast, and so you have to adjust your thinking. And you know, so what I'm saying to the team right now is start thinking about how we reinvent this whole thing. You know, start thinking about what that next quantum leap is because we took a quantum leap a couple of years ago and it seemed extraordinary and now it's ordinary. <laughs> you know, this is what we do. But we can't make the extraordinary ordinary. We have to keep thinking about, you know, what is that next frontier and, and you know, how do we keep engaging in this in a way that provides value to the people we serve. So, you know, it's a, it's a big challenge for us. It's also a really exciting challenge because there are so many other people in this space like salesforce.org that are there to help you. Um, and I think there are a number of 
um, interesting organizations around the edges who were trying to help nonprofits understand how they embrace technology. Um, so there's a lot of a lot of good people there, a lot of good minds um, being brought to these problems. So it's an exciting time. It is. It is indeed. And we are just about out of time. So I'm going to just ask you if you could uh, let people know if they are interested in learning about BOMA and how they can support your work, what's the best way to stay in touch? Yeah, they can find us at uh, bomaproject.org. Uh, and I, I would say come to our website, uh, take a look, um, you know, look at the, the way we work and, and where we're working. Um, if that makes sense to you and you'd like to uh, be one of our supporters, we would be more than happy to bring you into the BOMA family. Uh, there's a way to donate on the web page. Um, but I think, you know, also what I really challenge people to do is, you know, understand the issues going on in these parts of the world. And if you can, if you're able to travel out there and, and see it firsthand. And I think, you know, your eyes will be opened when you, when you come out to these places and see what's going on and get engaged, be part of the solution. Absolutely. Excellent advice. John Stevens, Executive Director of the BOMA Project. Thank you so much. Thank you.